kind Father, we ask again that you would speak to us. We're not here to listen for somebody else and tell them that there was something that they needed to hear, although that might very well be true. We're here for you to speak to us today, and I include myself in that. Holy Spirit, you are welcome to move in this place. We continue to earnestly pursue you and ask that you would transform our hearts and our minds. Set us free from the bondage and the prisons that we have put ourselves in and release us to experience you in perfect relationship. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so for some people today, honestly, um, this is, this is, this is going to speak to a deep and significant issue. And so at the beginning, what, I, what I'm going to ask is that God would do a significant, a real, a healing work through his word in us. The message today is for anyone who has ever felt less than. If you have ever felt not good enough. Maybe, maybe you felt that you're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not attractive enough. There's something about, that, about you that makes you not desirable. If you feel physically insecure, if you feel unattractive in any way, this message is specifically for you. The reality is, I believe in saying that, that I just said that this message is for everyone, right? Because I think that's the reality. How many of you, if you're going to be honest, because that's what we're all about, is being honest, you say you would like to change something about yourself. Who, is there anybody who would like to change something about themselves? Yeah, I, I think, again, this, this is what makes us resonate with each other, Right? We might be attracted to someone at the first because of their strengths, but what bonds us together with people is understanding their weaknesses and having some of those come out and we go, yeah, me too. I can remember when I was young and growing up, um, my behavior, my personality wasn't like anyone else in my family. And I always thought that I was the weird one. Uh, a couple of times I got that feeling from other people as well, but it, it was my extended family on my mom's side, my extended family on my dad's side, my, my, my close nuclear family. I didn't, I didn't feel like anyone was like me, that my personality, the way I was, was just unlike them. And in that, I started to really question whether I'm part of this family. Maybe I was adopted and no one ever told me. Maybe I'm not really here, and that's why I feel so different. And so as I was growing up, I got to the, uh, it, it's a landmark age now. It's, the, it's the, the braces age, like parents, you know, like this is how you know your, how old your kids are because now they got to get braces. Everyone's got to get braces. And I, and I looked at my mouth pattern. I never really noticed it before, but that at the time they started saying, hey, you've got crooked teeth. And so I said, uh, who cares, right? Because I'm a kid and I don't care at all. But my mom said, no, we should get those fixed. And and then they said, look at your mom's teeth. You have the same tooth pattern that she did. And I went, it's true. I have that same tooth pattern. That became to me an important step to say, I'm actually part of this family. Biologically, I am connected. 
even if I feel like I'm not supposed to be part of this family because we don't line up. I actually am attached to this family. But it was a long time before I was able to say, I can be part of this family and be unlike the rest of my family. That took a long time. Um, When I was in late grade 11, I started to decide that I was going to take my faith more seriously. I was going to go beyond attending with and start attending. I was going to be part of this Jesus relationship. I wanted to make something on my own. I didn't want to just trust somebody else for what they had. I wanted it to be mine. And so um, by that stage, I had already learned that part of my coping mechanism to deal with people that I was uncomfortable with, part of my way to deal with the fact that I felt at sometimes physically unattractive or not desirable, not one of the cool kids. I couldn't do some things that other people did. My hands didn't work like other people's hands. I was just not like them. What I had come to look as a safety net was sarcasm. And I was a very sarcastic kid. Um, I was cruel and sarcastic. And it was my defense mechanism. It it was my pre-bullying technique. Um, Because I had been bullied a fair amount as well, I thought the way to get ahead is to consciously attack those people so that they don't have a chance to attack me. But by grade 11, uh, grade 12, I got baptized and I decided I really want my life to change. I don't want this to be my path going forward. If I'm starting from this point, this is not the direction I want to be going. I want to go more like this. And so I need to change. I need to become aware of these things and I need to do something. And so I, I worked hard to try and become less sarcastic. I, I worked hard and I put it in, so we, I finished grade 12, I was baptized, and then I, I did OAC. For those of you who are unfamiliar, that was like grade 13. We had an extra year, and the extra year was actually a good thing. It wasn't a bad thing. You actually went to that, and, and, I, and I did well in grade 13, OAC. And at the end of, of that, uh, that year, Sometimes teachers do this at graduation. They vote uh, most likely to, or here's the award for this person, and they make up stuff for people. So grade 11, I started making a decision. Grade 12, I got baptized fairly on, and then fairly early on, and then I started to work at trying to overcome my sarcasm and to not be like that. And then that was all of grade 13 as well. I'm consciously doing this. So when I graduated OAC, and I came up in front of everyone, unbeknownst to me, they read off this thing about me, and they said... Now the award to Graham Clinton, the most sarcastic person on the face of the earth. And everybody laughed. That's so true. He is. And for me, that hurt so much. That was the one thing that I felt particularly exposed about. It was the one thing that I found that I really wanted to change and I didn't want to be that. And after a year and a half of consciously working hard, that's still the way I was known. And for those of you who know me, I have not been healed of sarcasm. It's still a part of my life. It is much less hurtful But it's still there. It just sort of happens sometimes. And maybe you have something like that, that somebody had said something to you. Look at that guy's nose. How could you have an arm like that? What's wrong with the way your ears look? And you have those moments and and they stick and they're there. And and you you go back and you kind of tell the story about it. This was high school. And you go, oh, let's laugh about it because it's funny now, right? But there's a lot of times that we feel tremendously insecure about something that we don't like about ourselves. 
And we recognize it is no longer a laughing matter. It is there and it's inside and I feel like it's tremendously visible all the time. Those things stick with us. So we're doing a series right now called Playlist. And in this, if you missed last week, what we're doing is we're taking popular songs off the radio and we're going to use them like parables. Jesus told stories to his culture. He made up stories. He pulled cult, uh, cultural kind of stories, stuff that they could really relate to, stuff they go, oh yeah, I get that. And then out of those stories, he would take truth and he would sort of um, say, here, look at it this way. And so we're taking popular songs and we're pulling spiritual truth out of those songs. We're teaching the Bible with those as reference points. points. It's a way that relates back to the song, to our lives, to the Bible. Those things are all connected. And so the one that we're going to look at this week, it's a song written by a girl named uh, Alicia Kara, and the song is Scars to Your Beautiful. Now, last week, I should tell you, that we played a song for you, and the person who performed the song isn't the person who performs the song. Uh, there's a copyright thing, right? So there was somebody else who was performing the song. Last week's song, A Million Things, is actually a song by the artist known as Lady Gaga. Today, Alicia Kara, but Alicia Kara is not the one who's going to sing this song today either. But when she was about 20 years old, that's about, I mean, that's about how old she is now. When she was about 16 years old, that's when she was musically discovered. It's such a wonderful way for people to describe you as you were kind of uh, non-existent. You were unimportant, and then you were discovered. And now you're wonderful, and before you weren't. Um, but she started this professional side at about 16 years old. She's the daughter of a hairstylist, and her, uh, her mom would try regularly to straighten out her frizzy hair. And over and over and over again, this hair would get straightened. And as a young girl, her hair actually started to fall out, and it came out in clumps. And she became tremendously insecure about that part of her body, that the way that she would be perceived because of that. And so she wrote this song specifically to women because she knew that women are targeted specifically, not exclusively, but specifically about their look, about their image, about the way they are to be because someone else said that that's the way to do it. And so that's why she wanted to have a song that stands out in a different way. And so one of the things that she does to make it significant is she refuses to perform this song with any makeup on. That was one of her steps to say, this is the message that we're constantly told, not good enough without makeup. And there are stories here of people who have been told, not good enough without makeup. And so to try and make that point, she had made that a commitment. She won't perform the song with makeup on. Um, the message, you're beautiful just the way you are. So I'm going to read some of the lyrics now. I'm going to read some of the lyrics later. Uh, I printed some of them up in the, uh, the handout for you, and if you have a handout, you'll notice that there's some bracketed spots, because I've gone and I've edited just a little bit. So if we were to record the version that we have, that would be definitely a remix, okay? We would be changing it up a little bit, and what I tried to do was to, um, to take it from being specifically to women to, to everyone. That's the idea, and then to change some of the words to say, this is what she's saying, but if we change it this way, it'll spiritualize it a little bit, so I am cheating. This is not exactly the way she wrote the song, but if we can hear it like this, if we can fill it in like that, the next time you hear the song, then maybe you have the memory of this and what God is saying to you there. So we're going to try and make it more towards everyone. The first part, 
We just want to be beautiful. We go unnoticed. We know no limits. We crave attention. We praise an image. We pray to be sculpted by the sculpture. We don't see the light that's shining deeper than the eyes can find it. Maybe we've made ourselves blind. So we try to cover up our pain and cut our woes away. Because cover girls don't cry after their face is made. If you have ever felt insignificant, if you feel like you go unnoticed, if regularly your day has the less than symbol in it, you are not alone. This message is specifically for you. May God connect that song, this message, the truth that we're going to look at to your heart. May you hear that truth and may you be set free. May the grace of truth of Jesus do a powerful, healing, transformative work in you. And may that start even today. The first thought that I want you to get into your head, with Christ, you are God's masterpiece. By the power of the risen Christ, you are God's masterpiece. This morning, we're going to look at a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote it to a bunch of his friends who lived in a city called Ephesus. And so if you write a letter to your friends in Ephesus, the way we've gotten to know it is just call it Ephesians. So this is the, in the letter to the Ephesians. We're starting uh, in chapter 2, verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done so that no one can boast about it. It goes on, but we're going to stop there. When we come to faith in Christ, the Bible says that we're saved. Christians describe themselves as being saved. We tell other people, you need to be saved. We're saved from the power of the darkness on this earth. We're saved from the darkness of our sins. We are forgiven. We become a new person. The old is gone. The new has come. And that's what we celebrate in baptism. The old life buried in a, in a watery grave. And when people come out of the water, they explode in a new life in Jesus Christ. Our sins are no longer counted against us. So again, uh, come back next week and we're going to celebrate some baptism. And we're going to celebrate some of the stories that people tell us about what's going on. And then that moment, the completion of a part that started with repent and is finished with and be baptized, right? It's a one phrase that we kind of put years in between sometimes. It's not because we're good. It's because God was good and perfect through Jesus Christ. And because of that, we are saved. We are made new. It's not by our good works, but by the perfect work of Jesus Christ that our sins are forgiven. And then Paul goes on to say, as we read here, he goes, for we are God's. Do you see it? Throw it up there for me, please. For we are God's what? Say it. For we are God's 
What are you? Say it aloud again. I am God's masterpiece. Look to the person beside you and tell them you are God's masterpiece. Just do it. Don't think about it. Now turn to the other side and say, you are God's masterpiece also. I didn't mean to leave you out. You are the perfect work of Christ Jesus. We are God's work of art. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We get into a lot of confusion about this part, okay? We are not saved by good works. That's where the confusion is. If I do it enough, if I do the right things, if I go here, if I do that, God will like me. We are not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. Because of the grace and the goodness and the perfection of Jesus Christ, we can be saved. And then he has something for us to do. And as a response of love to what he has done, we do these things. And these things have been set up, set in motion. It emphasizes and reemphasizes the fact that we are in partnership with God. So those things that he has set up and set aside for us to do, those are part of the plan. That is part of his plan for meeting and greeting and caring for and loving the people who are around you. You have a role to play, and he has gifted you to do that. God created you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He made you exactly the way he wanted you. Hold there for a second. I'm guessing that almost every one of you here has been told in some way why you're not what you could be. You're not what you should be. There are other people who are better than you because they are whatever it is. Smarter, better with their hands, prettier, stronger, faster, better at spelling, they do important things, you do menial things. You can't do anything real, all you do is... God created you the way that you are because that's who he wanted you to be. He placed you at this moment in history because he knew that you could best serve and glorify him with the things that he has set aside for you to do. You are a masterpiece of God, peculiarly created. And by that, I don't mean that you're peculiar as in weird. You're peculiar as in individual. It means that there's not another one of you. Even if we find someone who looks similar to us, they are not the same as us. You have an individual and personalized shape, and your shape is important and significant for what God has called you, created you to do. You are necessary to the body the way that you are. That doesn't mean that we don't have sin that we need to cast off, but it does mean that the way you are is not wrong. We're not waiting for you to be more like or more like. We're waiting for you to be fully who you are. Fully walking into the plan, the destiny that God has created and set aside for you. You are a masterpiece of God. All day long you will listen to messages that say you're almost a masterpiece. All you need is what I've got for you. 
Because if you buy my toothpaste, you wear my shoes, you get my shirt, you do this thing, then you can be all that you're supposed to be. But until then, oh, sorry about that. All day long we get these messages that tell us not quite, almost. Compare, compare, compare. The Greek word that is here that's translated as masterpiece is the word poema. So if you're a note taker, you like to take the notes, that means uh, a beautiful poem. It means uh, a perfect workmanship or a beautiful tapestry. Because of God's uh, work in us, because of the work of Christ, you are a poetic statement. You are the workmanship of God. You are a tapestry on display showing the goodness of God. You are there to display his glory and goodness throughout the living of your life. You are a masterpiece. And who is God in relationship to you? Well, God is the artist. You are the art. He is the painter. You are the canvas. He is the sculptor. And you are the clay. And he has shaped you created you, formed you in his image so that you can glorify him and you can serve him and make a difference in this world. Now, I don't have as much time to compete with the messages that you hear all the time. And so I would fully understand that as you hear this, you can go, okay, that feels good. I appreciate that. Thank you very much for that. Glad we didn't have the going to hell talk today. But that doesn't change the fact that I still need a smaller nose, and I still need longer legs, and I still need whiter teeth. I need fuller hair. Don't laugh. I need better vision. Uh, whatever it is, I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. I wish that I could sing. What we're talking about today is not better self-esteem. This isn't a feel good about yourself thing. We're redirecting that very carefully to make sure you understand this is about Christ esteem. You need to recognize who you are because of Christ. It's not about self-esteem. It's not about feeling good about yourself. You need to know the truth. And the truth is that Christ in us helps us understand how valuable we are. You determine the worth of something by how much somebody is willing to pay for it. You are worthy of the life of Christ. He loved us, he loved you so much that he said, this is what you are worth. I know you. I know what you're like. I know what you struggle with and I will die for you because you are worth it. And when we recognize who we are, who he says we are, and we start to believe that, then you can start to move into freedom. Not feeling good, but freedom. Because our worth is not based on what someone else says about us no matter how close they were related to you. Our worth is not what the standard of the world says about us. 
Our worth is not based on what someone else has done to us. Our worth is not based on how we feel about us. Our worth is based on who Christ says that we are. And he says that you're a masterpiece created by him to do the assignments that he has prepared for you to do. That's who you are. Why does this matter so much? Because what you believe about yourself on the inside manifests itself on the outside. Right? What you believe about yourself on the inside eventually comes out in how you represent yourself on the outside. And this is why so many people don't feel attractive on the outside. Because even more so, we don't feel worthy on the inside. And it doesn't really matter how old you are. The older you get, the more habituated you are to feeling that way. You just get more like, oh yeah, yeah, I know, that's not me, because I'm lame. I'm just more practiced at telling myself lies, and I've just got to learn to live with it because that's just who I am. And I don't take this lightly because there's, there's a lot of deep, powerful reasons that help people to believe the way that they believe. It's not something that you just decided because you had nothing else to do. There are a, a large number of people in our population, and there's a significant number of people in our church who have been through some awful things. And awful things shape the way that we feel about ourselves, the way that we perceive ourselves. I know that there are people who have been here who have been abused emotionally. There are people who have been abused verbally. There are people who have been abused physically. There are people who have been abused sexually. And those things cut deep inside. Some of you have been neglected. Some of you have been abandoned. And you are deriving your sense of value or worth by what has happened to you or around you. Some of you, your, your, your situation is entirely different. It's not like that. But there is something that has happened that has intensely crafted, shaped, molded, and fired your self-perception. It shapes very much how you feel about yourself. That one teacher who said that one thing. Can't forget it. That one kid who treated me like I was worthless in front of everyone. Don't forget it. Being a pastor for about 20 years, the stories that I've come across, the stories that I've heard about what has happened to people, some of them are absolutely horrific. And things that you read in newspapers when they don't want to print the whole story, what is it like to look in the face of someone who's lived in that? How do we help them see what their real value is when their value feels like it's been robbed? Stripped away. Believe what God says about you. He made you. 
You are special. You are created by him fearfully, wonderfully, with everything that you see as a flaw, with everything you can't seem to get past. He loves you. He knows your propensities, your tendencies. That does not change his love for you. And the way he sees those things that you see as flaws, they're just temporary steps to where he wants to take you. And for some of us, those steps are larger than others. It's true. I wish that it wasn't true, but that's the way it is. Some people have larger steps to climb. But who you are is still the way God spoke to Gideon when he first met him. And he met him cowering and hiding, and he said, Greetings to you, mighty warrior. No sense of the warrior in him. And so if you look at those statements and you say, I'm broken, I'm flawed, I'm dirty, I'm no good, I'm broken, I I don't work right. God greets you as you are called to be, not as you feel like you are. And so if there's something, if there's anything in the past for you that's hurtful, It's painful. It's creating a shameful self-image. Because of Christ, you can be made new. And even if you were a victim of what somebody else did to you, his healing power is real and it has set people free. It is setting people free and it can set you free also. Free to live the life that you were fully called to be in. I want to read to you a couple more of the lyrics of the song. And again, they're edited, okay, so this is not exactly what she wrote, but I want you to feel the power, and I want you to hear it as if God is involved in this conversation too. You don't see that you're perfect because of Christ. Your sins are forgiven. You don't understand you're worth it, or that beauty goes deeper than the surface. So to all the people that are hurting, let Christ be your mirror. Help you see a little bit clearer. The light that shines within. And then please hear this part. There's a hope waiting for you in the dark. You should know that you're beautiful just the way you are. There's a hope waiting for you in the dark. You should know you're beautiful just the way you are. Hear that. Internalize that. That Our great, mighty, powerful, awesome God loves you. He loves you. And there's nothing that you can do that will make him love you more. There's nothing you can do that will make him love you less. He loves you. It's not just what he does. Love is who he is. And yes, God loves everybody equally. But I want you to understand this. God doesn't just love you equally. He also loves you uniquely. He has a special and a unique love just for you. And anybody who's got multiple kids, uh, you you know what it's like when you get get number one there and you think, how could I ever love anyone more than I love this? How could I ever love again? And then after you, you know, that day that you wink at your spouse and magically you get pregnant again and there's another love thing that comes up and you get that question, how do I do this? 
Not only can I love them equally, but guess what? I also love them uniquely. And God loves you uniquely. He loves you for what he has made you, but for who you are. And you may start to embrace that and you start to walk out of church and you feel a little bit better and you can feel a little bit more confident. And then you go back into that social media kind of world and you think, well, that's good and that's fine. And that's a nice thing to have in my back pocket. But I'm still going to need to get my nine pack of abs just like Lego Batman. And I want to look good in my yoga pants, even though I've never done yoga a day in my life. More than what's on the outside. Please believe me. It's who you are on the inside. That's what matters. It really is who you are on the inside first. That will shape who you become on the outside. Let's listen to this week's song. I had always struggled with my weight growing up, like struggled to uh, feel pretty enough. I just never fit in. I was always, you know, the oddball. It was like, if you see a group full of horses. I was the zebra. I really did focus so much on my outer image, and I felt like I didn't know who I really was. As a 12-year-old, I had brain surgery. I have a six-inch scar at 18 stitches. When I hit puberty, I got a lot of acne, especially on my face, and teenage girls are ruthless. <laughs> I couldn't be a part of their group, so they kind of like treated me different. You know, I went through so many years I couldn't um, even look people in the eyes because when I looked in the mirror, I saw who I really was as this broken, hurting child. I thought I was stupid. And I was worthless.
whenever I first got my bike, but my mommy and daddy told me that I'm beautiful with patch. So today when I think about that scar, I feel like it's God's mark on my life. When God made me, he knew what I was going to struggle with. Just knowing that there is a greater love, that's all that actually ends up mattering to me. Now I realize that the reason why I didn't fit in was because I wasn't supposed to fit in. I was, I was uh, special. I don't look like a model in a magazine, but I know that I'm beautiful. Now I see a strong woman that God has created with a purpose. And so it doesn't really matter what people around you think. Um, it matters what God thinks. Yeah, <laughs> I am pretty beautiful. <laughs> I have four thoughts that I want to leave with you today, and I hope that if you're a note person, you're going to write these down, but more importantly, I hope that you can internalize these. The first thing is that God loves you deeply. That shaped his whole plan. That shaped what he was going to do, how he was going to do it, and the way he thought about you. Romans 5, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us when we were still sinners. So when you say, how do I know that God loves me? Does he love me today? Does he love, how can he love me if this is happening? How, if this is going to go on, how does this show God's love? You can always go back to this place so that when the lies come, you tell the truth. God loves me. He displayed his love for me. He sent Christ to die for me while I had done nothing that would change his mind about who I was. That tells us very clearly that God values you highly. The love that he has 
is displayed by the value that he has given to you. In 1 John 3, it tells us, see how much our Father loves us? For he calls us, us, his children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world, they don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. God loves you deeply. God values you highly. Because of that, God provides for you fully. Philippians 4, and this same God, the one who loves you, the one who values you, this same God who sent his son to die for you, this same God who takes care of Paul will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. All that you need beyond all that you can ask or ever imagine loves Values, provides, and finally, God planned for you carefully. Ephesians 1, it says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt to us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. You are accepted by Christ. You are secure in Christ. You are complete in Christ. Don't believe what anybody else tells you about yourself. Don't believe what your past says. Don't believe what the inner voices say. Don't believe what society says about you. You are who Christ says that you are, and he says that you are his masterpiece. Do you think that it's possible that he might see something in you that you don't yet see in you? Fearfully, wonderfully, intricately made, created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he prepared for you to do long ago. And when you know and you believe who he says that you are, you can do everything that he calls you to do. Remember who you are. You're a poetic statement by God. You are his perfect workmanship. You are the beautiful tapestry of expression of his glory and his goodness in this world. You are his masterpiece. Father, we thank you for who you say that we are. May we embrace your view of us. Help us to put it on our insides. Believing what you say about us is true. Father, my heart breaks for so many people today 
And I know that in this culture, there are so many things, so many images and so much pressure that makes us feel like we just don't measure up. We're not good enough. God, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would, you would seal this in our hearts, that you created us, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you knit us together perfectly in such a way that we could serve you in this generation, reflecting your love. God, may we believe what you say about us. So true on the inside, it is reflected how we live on the outside. That everyone can see that we're beautiful as we are because you made us, God. May they see your glory in us. So God, this morning I pray. I pray for healing. I pray, God, that the power of shame would be broken. I pray for restoration. I pray that minds would be renewed and transformed. That we would believe in our hearts that we are who you created us to be. And because of Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone. And the new has come. Make it so in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you have been called to peace. And be thankful. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Well, it's better when you're here. It's better when we're together.